Hello everybody and welcome to Hope Church Online. It's wonderful that you could join us from wherever you are. My name is Luke and I'm going to continue our series on a cry for anguish out of the book of Lamentations. And if you haven't had an opportunity to hear the last three talks by Steve and Fran, I want to encourage you to do so. And you can do that by uh, going via our website or a podcast or the last talk here on our YouTube channel. One phrase that I've heard and probably said a lot recently over the last few days is what strange, weird or interesting times we're in. And indeed they are. But God really is speaking. There may be a season of unrest and upheaval and uncertainty, but God is sure and he's on the move. And as the popular worship song Waymaker says, even when I don't see it, you're working Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. And in all this, there's a cry going out across the church to stand strong. Do not fear. The Lord is in control. We are coming to the end of this series, A Cry for Anguish, as we look at the book of Lamentations, a book written in the depth of despair at a time when it looked like all hope was lost. And I would suggest to you with respect that what Israel faced in their times was worse than what we face today. Famine and death and exile from their land. But we face a real challenge now. And the question then for us is this. Will we stand firm? Will we grow our faith? Will we trust in the Lord? And do we have a hope of restoration? For many people, the impact of this virus is not really and perhaps hasn't yet fully impacted their lives directly. And perhaps only this last week have people really felt the impact and the realities of the situation. But for many people, the impact of the situation will long continue as people deal with the loss of loved ones and take financial hits and delays in plans and opportunities. So how do we respond in these times of crisis when the world around us seems to be falling apart? When the situation we find ourselves in feels unfair. That it's not what you think God promised you. It's no lucky coincidence that God led Steve to put together this series in this time. He knew long before I did that I would deliver this message to you over YouTube. God has something to say to us in this moment. And I want to take a moment as we start to challenge our mindset Because so often we can focus on the goodness of God, how wonderful he is, and it's all good and it's all true. But sometimes we can allow ourselves to feel entitled that now, um, because I'm a Christian, everything should be easy and everything should be blessed. I want to quickly look at two verses that won't come up on the screen, but listen as I read. Psalms 34, 17 to 19. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And in 1 Peter 5 verse 10 it says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. And there are further verses similar to that in Habakkuk 3, 17 to 18 and Psalm 73, verse 26. And in all of these verses, there are two ever-presence, two things that are reliable. 
The fact that hard times, troubles, broken hearts, being crushed, suffering, failure, lack of food, wealth and health, all of these things happen, both to the righteous and to the unrighteous. Suffering in this world will happen. It will happen in different ways, in different seasons, to varying degrees. But as we live in a fallen world, we will have fallen world problems. However, alongside this inevitable suffering is the promise of rescue. The Lord hears and delivers. He is close. The Lord saves, restores, makes strong. And God himself is the great deliverer. So what does Lamentation say to us about the times that we find ourselves in? In Lamentations 3, verse 25 to 27, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Firstly, as with the verses I read previously, the promise is of the Lord's goodness. But there is an activity here, a purposeful, intentional attitude, a response to our suffering. And that response is to place our hope in him and seek him. And we have been hearing over the series about how God invites conversation. He invites lament. He wants to hear our hearts. And he is big enough to hear our shouts of anger. He isn't scared of us shaking our fist at him. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to ask him why. But the attitude should be rooted in hope. And the next verse almost seems to contradict that. As in 25, we are seeking, but in verse 26, we are waiting quietly. Seeking him, placing our hope in him. This is our action. It's our part. His part is the salvation. Verse 26, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes, do we need to just give space so that we can hear God's answer and catch his heart? In all of this, if we allow ourselves to look past our struggles, to look past our need for him, we will be able to see him more clearly. It's about putting God in front of our problem and not our problem in front of God. My son once got his foot stuck in his cot. And he would shout for me, Daddy, Daddy, and try and pull his leg out himself, which hurt him. And so he was upset and crying. So when I came into his room, the first thing that I did was cuddle him and settle him. And it was when he had stopped shouting and screaming and fighting against his foot being stuck. He was then able to receive my rescue. And it's good. It's good to grab God's attention. But equally, it's good to allow him to come and speak to us in the quiet. I went through a season shortly after getting married in June 2014, where I suffered from severe back pain. And eventually in February of 2015, I was diagnosed with a herniated disc in my spine. And I went on to receive multiple injections and spend time and money on physio and chiro and medication as I attempted to rebuild my strength and return to having a normal life and being pain-free. But in amongst that time, I was forced to spend 
sometimes hours on the floor in pain, just crying and at times screaming. And I gave the Lord both barrels. How unfair. My first year of marriage spent in pain, being angry and frustrated. And I remember telling the Lord that that if there was anything I could turn to, if there was any other religion I could go to, I would. But I knew that Jesus was the only answer. And I hated the fact that I felt like I was forced to love a God who I felt didn't love me. Because how could I be experiencing this if he truly loved me? And I wanted to die at times. I wanted the pain to go away so desperately. But I reached a point in my heart, and I can remember it so clearly, where while on the floor in tears, I said to the Lord, if you would just give me your presence, if the pain never left me, fine. But if I can have your presence, I'll be okay. I knew that if, I, if God was with me, I could make it through the season. And something in my heart clicked that day. The pain didn't leave me instantly, but something in my heart clicked that day where I no longer loved God purely for what he did for me, but I loved God for who he was. And God has been good to me. He really has. But now in my heart, there's a steel to love him for who he is, that I don't love him just for what I can get out of being a Christian, but I love him unshakably because of who he is. I love God because I love God, because I love who he is. When Jesus endured the cross for us, the Bible talks about how he endured pain and beatings and brutality for us without crying out. But as he was placed on the cross, he felt the hand of the Father lift off him as he became sin for us. And in that moment when presence and relationship with the Father was lifted. Then he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because his priority was after presence, after the relationship. It wasn't heal me, save me, take this pain away. It was, Father, give me your presence. And when Jesus walked the earth, everyone he came into contact with were changed and healed because he was present And his presence was there. And I think it's so important that we don't just chase the result of Jesus' presence. I long to be free of pain. I currently struggle with pain. But I just am desperate for his presence to be with me. And and it's so important for us to long after him. Jesus, your presence is the thing that we desire more than anything else. And we do want to see all the other stuff. It's all good stuff to hope for. But if we determine in our hearts to seek after presence and relationship with Jesus, we will see our world change. A profound point has been made by a few people about the concept of a sacrifice of praise. And in short, it's the fact that heaven is a place where there is no suffering and loss and pain. And we have this uniquely wonderful opportunity while on earth to give praise to God out of our depth of despair and in the middle of our suffering. Something that we'll never do the other side of heaven. Something that the angels can't do. It's something that only we can do now. That in the midst of our storm, we can choose to give God 
praise and declare his goodness and his greatness. And we're told to worship in spirit and in truth. And what is the truth in these times? God is good. That is the truth. And we don't worship from our physical feelings or our emotional feelings or our current situation and what the world looks like around us, but from truth. And the writer of Lamentations does that in chapter 5, as we look at verse 19 and 22. It says, You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Right in the midst of crying out, why do you forsake us? Why have you rejected us? And this is the end of Lamentations. This is how the book ends. There's no last victorious line that says, and the Lord saved them all and everything was awesome. It literally ends with, you'll save us, unless you hate us, I guess. But with no end in sight. And for me, I didn't know when my back pain would end. And for the people of Israel at the time, they didn't know how long they'd be in exile, how long the famine and the suffering would go on. But despite that, verse 19 rings out, You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. There's praise in the middle of the darkest days, in the middle of their greatest suffering. You, Lord, reign forever. Hey, Lord, you are king. You are great. You are still in charge. And at this time, with no end in sight, with the government saying, stay at home, with people's jobs under pressure, finances under pressure, companies crumbling, food stocks running low, all of the madness that we're surrounded by, in the midst of it all, there's a cry going out, you, Lord, reign forever. Bill Johnson said, don't change your theology to fit your circumstances. And in this time, we don't change our theology. God is still good, despite of what the world might look like. There are a lot of people doing very good things at the moment. In these times, there is desperate need for good things, kindness and sharing and donations. But I firmly believe there is one thing that everybody needs right now more than anything else. And no, that's not toilet paper. It's Jesus. And we honor the hard work, the sacrifices, the acts of kindness, the generosity that's happening all around us. But it's Jesus, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The hope of our world is Jesus. In Lamentations 3, verse 27, which I read earlier, it said it's good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. And this virus seems to be particularly harsh on the older generation. And I believe the virus is not the only thing that goes after the older generation. I believe this current generation, mine included, have a tendency to disregard the wisdom of the past. We think we know it all because we can work smartphones and we can Google answers to the pub quizzes. 
But I want to speak to those of us under 70, but even more so those under 40. We have an opportunity in this time to hear and learn from the stories of the older generation. To glean from their experiences and learn from their wisdom. Because they have such wealth. Wealth in experience, wealth in knowledge. My wife recently phoned to speak to her dad and mentioned her grandparents and said, do you think they'll be okay? And her dad responded with, they'll be fine. They went through this in the war. And I thought it's so true. There's such wisdom in and knowledge. They've been through times of uncertainty, times of being locked away, and they've had to build their lives from almost nothing again. Such wisdom and wealth and experience in the older generation. One of the verses that are very close to my heart is Judges 2 verse 10. And it says, After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The generation after Joshua's generation. Joshua's generation, the people who took hold of the promised land. The generation after disregarded them. And they suffered for not learning from the testimony of the older generation. And I want to encourage you in this time, while we can, get on the phone, get on Skype, however it is. Speak to the older generation. Take the time to learn from them, to hear their stories. While we are young, let's be open to learn and to grow. In Romans 5 verse 3 and 5, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Mark Bickle summed it up very well like this. We do not rejoice in the trials themselves, but what they produce in us as we rightly respond to God in them. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And we can sometimes think, God, why did you let him stay in there for so long? God could have brought him up miraculously immediately. But he had to spend the night, dark, cold, lion-filled cave. And sometimes we have to go through a time of suffering. Spend the night, in a sense. But in the morning, God showed himself faithful and showed himself good because he has a bigger plan. And going through the night, coming to the end, tests tests our faith, but it builds endurance and it builds character and gives us hope for the future. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. And God is at work. He is building endurance. He is building character. He is bringing hope. And he will pour out his spirit. And that's one of the promises that we have over hope as a church in particular. That we hold on to. And perhaps you are listening and saying, I just don't believe this. I just don't have the faith that God will rescue me, that everything will be okay, that God is in control. 
I'd like to suggest to you that you have faith. You have faith in something. And it's easy to have faith in fear. It doesn't require much. And if you can believe the bad news, why can't you believe the good news? I propose your faith is just simply misplaced. The question then is perhaps, where are we positioning ourselves? What are we feeding ourselves? Are we feeding fear? Or are we feeding the promises of God? I want to encourage you not to ignore the realities of what's happening. However, seek God's reality. Ask God to show you his perspective. Because there is a difference between faith and fear. There's also a difference between fear and recklessness. But if we hear God's voice, if we hear his word, if we place our faith in him, he will prove himself good and faithful time and time again. So find God in this time. There is an opportunity while we are locked down to read books and listen to podcasts and spend time in worship. Make the most of the opportunity that we have. There's a story in Matthew 8 and in Mark 4 where Jesus and his disciples get in the boat and he says, let's go over to the other side and they cross over the Sea of Galilee. And as they are crossing over, a huge storm arrives and as Jesus was sleeping in the boat his disciples feared for their lives and they woke him and said you have to help us we're going to die and Jesus stood up and rebuked the storm and the storm settled and he rebuked the disciples for a lack of faith and sometimes because there's a storm and it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't by our side that he's left us that his word isn't true but we need to trust in the word of the Lord. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. There was a promise that they would arrive on the other side. Jesus wouldn't have said, let's go to the other side if that wasn't going to happen. And so we need to, in this time, find what the Lord is saying. Hang on to what the Lord has said to us and trust in his word. A man named Derek Crumpton once said, don't doubt in the dark what you heard in the light. And God has promises over us that he intends to fulfill. And we need to trust in these words. So what can we do perhaps practically in the coming days? There are four things that I think that we can do in a practical way that will help us and encourage us and build our faith. One is to feed our faith well with the word and with worship. And we have some resources for that. We have a Spotify playlist and a YouTube playlist of songs that speak about God's goodness and him bringing us through. We can talk to God and do so honestly about our situation. He wants to hear from us. Quieten our hearts and our minds and allow space to hear his response and value connection and relationship, especially with the older generation. I'm going to end by praying and I invite you to join with me. Father, in this time when so many things seem so uncertain, thank you that we can put our trust in you. Father, I thank you that you are in control. 
I ask that as we go about our day, we will be aware of your presence with us. Your word says that your mercies are new every day, and we can come to you daily and receive fresh peace, fresh joy, and renewed strength. And we ask, Father, that you will do so. Would you fill our minds with peace, our hearts with joy, and would you strengthen us in these days? Father, we ask for your protection over the vulnerable and over the elderly. We ask for your protection over relationships and households as we remain in lockdown. Give us wisdom, Lord. Show us how we can be salt and light at this time, that your kingdom would come. Draw us near to you, Father. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts afresh. Lord Jesus, may your name be glorified. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Amen. I hope you have been encouraged by this. And I want to encourage you to join us here next week as Jonathan talks about Jesus as the answer for our laments. God bless you. Goodbye.